If you've been watching the news, you've probably seen that there is a mega millions lottery winner out there who recently won $1.5 billion. That's a huge lottery, but the person hasn't collected the money yet. There's a winner out there, but nobody knows who it is. It might be someone in this room. And when you see a lottery that big, you can't help but wonder, what would I do with all of that money? I'm thinking, man, no more Little Caesars hot and ready pizzas for me. I'm going up to Papa John's. I'm upgrading, my friends. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to pay off some debts. I'm going to go on Amazon. And I'm thinking, like, man, I would buy so many things. It would be amazing. No more $12 watches for Pastor Verdeepin. It's going to be just a shopping spree. $1.5 billion. And I, I started researching different lottery winners, and I found this story from a man in England who won the lottery, and something happened. And there's a point I'm going to communicate through this whole sermon and through this whole series, and it's this fact that money doesn't really change things for you. All money does is reveal who you really are. There's this writer, Tim Ferriss. He writes, uh, you know, people don't really change. Money doesn't change people. Money basically changes uh, who you are when you no longer have to be nice. Like, I have money. I don't have to be nice to you anymore. I'm rich. I'm rich. <laughs> and uh, there's this guy who won a million dollars in England, and he acted in kind of a crazy way. Uh, this money revealed who he was. So he finds out after scratching a lottery ticket in England, he finds out, wow, I just won a million dollars. He walks into work, and he starts dancing on his desk. I'm rich. I have a million dollars. He starts ordering coworkers around. Hey, you, go get me some champagne. I'm going to drink with my girlfriend tonight. We're going to celebrate. He goes to his boss and he says, hey, boss, you can keep your job. I quit because I'm rich. I have a million dollars. He starts taking his wallet around and he throws money all over his coworkers. I have a million dollars. He's like, I, this is England, so he's like, man, fish and chips for everybody. You get a tea and crumpet. You get a tea and crumpet. Everybody gets tea and crumpets. This is going to be amazing. And he calls the lottery company to collect his money, and he gets a weird response, something he didn't expect. Calls them, and they say, sorry, sir, uh, you read your ticket wrong. You did not win a million dollars. And this man in the paper, he says, I know what it's like to win a million dollars. And I know what it's like to lose a million dollars. He had to go back to his work and beg for his job back. But the money, this winning, this lottery, exposed who this man really was. Money doesn't really change you. It reveals who you really are. And he was a gloating jerk who was rubbing it into the people's faces. And money uh, is something that we are tested with all the time. Money is a true test of character. It reveals, it tests us, it brings things to the surface. And Jesus talks about money so much in the scriptures because of this. Like we've been talking about, Jesus talks about money five times more than prayer. It's the number two thing he talks about in scriptures. And we as a church, 
want to talk about the things Jesus talks about. And money is a test. And according to what I'm seeing in the scripture, every time you receive money, every time you get paid, you take a test. And it's a test that determines who do you worship and who do you thank for your money. Money is a test. The answer is determined by where does your first check go. And I, I want to unveil some spiritual principles from the scripture because money is a big deal. And sometimes we, we feel like money is different than our spirituality. Money shouldn't be talked about in the church. But like we, just a little review, there, there's, a, there's a string connected from your heart to your wallet. And your, your treasure, where your treasure is, what you invest in, that's where your heart is. If I asked you to invest a, a million dollars into a certain stock, you'd probably be obsessed with that stock. You'd be very aware because your heart naturally follows where your treasure is. And so that's why Jesus talks about it so much. Not because Jesus is broke, because Jesus is rich. <laughs> he owns everything. He, he's the creator of heaven and earth, but he cares about your heart. He doesn't want to get your money, but he doesn't want your money to get you. Jesus is obsessed with your heart. He longs for your heart. He loves you, and he cares about the health and the issues of your heart. And if money is an indicator of where our heart is, it's about time we talk about money in the church in not a greedy, not an abusive way, but in a healthy way that brings life to all of us. Amen? And so we are going to talk about this, and uh, I, I'm borrowing a lot from this book called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris, and he's a pastor in Texas. We have some guests from Texas. Anybody from Texas in the house? And so uh, he, he's a pastor in Texas, and this book really helps build a foundation for money and the scriptures. Money and faith, I highly recommend it. It's really impacted my life. So if you hear repeating, I've learned a lot from other pastors. And I want to dive into the scripture that it, it feels like a preacher hungry for money wrote the scripture. But I assure you, I did not write the scriptures, okay? And I'm not super hungry for money either. But the scripture is from the word of the Lord. This is Malachi. In Malachi 3, 6 through 10, the scriptures say, I, the Lord, do not change. So the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. So I am comforted that our God is not a moody God. We don't have to wonder, God, like, should I pray? Can I worship? Are you in a good mood today? The scriptures are very clear. Uh, I, the Lord, do not change. We know some moody people, right? We don't know what to expect from them. Is this a good day, bad day? I, the Lord, does not change. And then the scripture goes on to say, so uh, you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Basically, God's like, if I were moody, you'd all be dead. <laughs> Verse 7. <laughs> Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. So this, this feels like a preacher's writing it, but these are the words of God. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. That bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so the the scriptures say that people are robbing God because they are with 
holding tithes and offerings. And then the scriptures say, all right, but it's not too late. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Then the Lord says, test me in this. So there's a lot going on here in the scripture, and we're going to unpack it. But uh, the Lord says the tithe and the offering, they belong to me. The tithe belongs to me. Bring it into the storehouse. And he even says, you can test me. And so I want to explain what is a tithe and what are offerings so that we can have a biblical understanding. And so basically, the tithe equals tenth. It's tenth. It's, uh, I'm going to give you, Lord, the first 10% of the money that you give me. And then the scriptures say, bring it into the storehouse. Bring it in so there might be food in my house. And this is a picture of the modern-day church. The scripture was in the Old Testament, but he says, hey, give me 10% that there might be food in my spiritual house, my storehouse, which today would mean the church, as we are the house of God. We as the church, the people gathered to execute the will of God on earth, we are the temple of the living God. And he says, bring it into my storehouse. And then he also talks about offering. And offering is above and beyond that first 10%. So the first 10% belongs to God, bring it into the storehouse. And then above and beyond that is like when you take care of someone in need individually. Maybe there's someone in your family. Maybe there's like a nonprofit that you support. Maybe there's an orphanage you give money to. That's above and beyond the 10%. But I want to communicate the first 10%, according to the scriptures, is a various, very serious matter to God. To the length that he says, you are robbing me when you do not tithe. And it's not tithing if it's uh, just, I'm not a mathematician, okay? I'm not joyous. I'm not, I'm not a math person, okay? I don't understand a lot of it. And... Uh, but tenth, tithing means tenth. You, you can't tithe 2% because of math. It means 10%, a tenth of what you bring in. You can't tithe 20% because that's not a tenth. Like if, I, if someone says, hey, I, I, I tithe about 4% of my income, my brain goes crazy because the math doesn't compute. 4% is never 10%. Does that make clear? Is that, made, is that words? Coming, makes sense? Good, good preaching. Okay, so 10% so equals 10. And so it's not giving, when you're giving to like an orphanage, that's not a tithe. When you're giving to just a random person in need, that's not a tithe. It's when we say, with my first 10%, I'm going to bring that into the house of the Lord, that there might be spiritual food to eat, then we are in tithing mode. And then the offering is above and beyond that to take care of various needs or benevolence and things like that. And so I, I want to share a couple of uh, points, three points that will help us understand more of a biblical uh, foundation for tithing. And the first thing I want to share is this. It's super important for us to get tithing right. Apparently because of those scriptures about robbing God and things like that, it's super important to God. But number one, it's important for us to get tithing right because tithing is a test. Money reveals what's going on in our heart. Money, like that man who won the lottery, revealed what was going on inside of him. It brought things to the surface. And, and tithing, the, the number 10, the 10, 10 is a number of testing throughout the scriptures. And we are, I think, as the American church, are really uh, doing horribly with this test. 
Uh, the latest stats I read say that 2.7% of evangelical Christians are tithing today. And that same research said about 90% of those same Christians believe that we should tithe. And it, it's wild that 2.7% people are following what the scriptures say that we should be doing. And uh, a lot of times as a pastor when I talk about tithing, people will say, you know, uh, money in the church, they shouldn't mix. Like, we shouldn't talk about that. And tithing is all about the Old Testament. Like, I, I just, you know, that, that I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to give it my own ways. Like, whatever. And for me, that reveals a heart issue. Because here's the reality. I'm not trying to be too blunt, but Jesus Christ gave 100% of his life for us. And, like, when we're arguing and nitpicking over 10%, to me, it reveals a heart that's not very grateful. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, Jesus, take my whole heart. Take my whole life. And there's a lot of us who are like, I love to sing. I'll, I'll give God my time. I'll give him everything, but don't take my money. And it, it, it's a test. It brings to the surface what's going on in the heart. And throughout the scriptures, the number 10 is a test. Uh, I want to, this is going to be a pretty easy test for you all. But let me ask you a, a few questions, okay, about uh, this, this idea. How many commandments are there? Okay. How many times were, was Israel tested in the wilderness? How, how many plagues were hit on Pharaoh? There's, there's, no, there's not. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. All right. how, many, how many times were Jacob's wages changed when he was tested? How many disciples were there? <laughs> Almost got you. And so we see this idea of 10 throughout the scriptures as a, a number of testing uh, the Ten Plagues, the Ten Commandments. And I, uh, there's this quote by Rick Warren that kind of illustrates this, uh, how we're, we're failing as a church to communicate these principles. Most people fail to realize that money is both a trust and a test from God. And this, this number 10 represents the testing. And are, are we passing the test? And we take that test every time we get paid. Who are we going to thank for this money? Are we thanking Visa? Visa that does not have the power to bless our lives? Are we thanking them? Are we are we thinking our student loans? Are we thinking entertainment and money? Like, who gets the first of our increase? Who gets the first of our income? You know, because the reality is God owns everything. Heavens and the earth. God created all that is good, and he trusts us with all this money, and we're just returning the 10% that is his. He says, well, a man robbed God. It's his money. He owes it. Have you ever had a friend that you lend money to? And you're happy. Take the money. Don't worry. Pay it, pay it back when you can. And then you maybe go out to eat with that friend and you're at a restaurant. And you know that person owes you some money, but you're like, they're in, they're in a bad financial situation. It's fine. And then, then they, they, they order the appetizers. And then they order, like, filet mignon on the menu. And then they get, they, they get dessert for the whole table. You're like, that's my money. <laughs> you owe me money. There's a little nervous energy in here. Someone in this room around you, you're in a situation. Just look at them. No, don't look at them. And uh, you're like, what? That, I lent you that money because you're in a tough time, and now you're using it to bless everybody else? That's my money. Buddy better give me my money. Give me my money, man. <laughs> and I, I feel like, 
God's saying, you robbed me when you don't return what you owe to me. You're not passing the test. It's super dangerous. And the crazy thing is, though, in the scriptures, that this isn't a one-way test. In that scripture in Malachi, it, he says, you can test me in this. It's a two-way test. Not only is it revealing who we are, it reveals who God is. And God says, test me in this. Return the tithes and offering to my house that there might be spiritual food and see how I bless you. In fact, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to redeem you from the curse. The, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to protect you in ways that you are not being protected. But, and I don't want us to get caught up by the word uh, curse. It's not like, you know, I don't want it to feel like magic. Just think of it like a consequence. When you're not living in the ways of God, you experience the consequences of your own decisions. And, and many people argue with me about these scriptures. Well, like, that was Old Testament. I hate that Malachi is in the Old Testament because it's like this scripture is about 15 verses away from the New Testament. <laughs> it's the last book in the Old Testament. You're like, God, couldn't you just wait a little bit? And, but no, he, I, I feel like it, he, it's proving that it's a test. I want to see where people's hearts are. And uh, when, when it comes to tithes and offerings, people are like, you know, that's Old Testament. I'm redeemed from the curse. I don't have to do that. Uh, but there, there are all sorts of things back in the Old Testament that we still follow. Like, I'm a little worried if that's your mentality because you're like, yeah, I know it says don't murder in the Ten Commandments, but I'm redeemed from the curse, baby. I murder left and right. Grace to grace to grace from death to life to death again. Boom, gotcha. You know, I'm, I'm redeemed from the curse so I can murder. No, there, there's consequences to murder. Amen? Amen? I need you to say that more confidently or I'm afraid for my life. Amen? Yes. Like, if I commit adultery in my marriage, there's going to be consequences. Amen? Yes. Amen. What? Hey, whoa. You not, just, that's just for her to amen. <laughs> I'm afraid for my life again. All right. So, I mean, yes, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse, but there are still consequences when we live according to our own plan and not God's plan. Amen? And so tithing is a test. And uh, when it comes to tithes and offerings, God says, test me. Because God knows he can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. Will you trust God in those? And so secondly, I want to share is that tithing is biblical. I mean, it's here in Malachi, but it's thread throughout all the scriptures. In fact, uh, the principle of tithing exists in the Old Testament, New Testament, and now. Like, have you ever heard of Cain and Abel, the first brother fight in the scripture? You, you know why they were fighting? Over money, giving to God. And uh, that was 2,500 years before the law. Jacob ties to God 400 years before the law. You don't believe me? Let's read about it in Genesis 28-22. Hello. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So this exists before the law, like thousands of years before the law, hundreds of years before the law, during the time of the law in the Old Testament, and I believe it exists in the New Testament. So many of you aren't convinced still, but what if, what if I showed you in the New Testament, in the red letters of Jesus, that Jesus promotes tithing. Would you believe in tithing then? Well, I want to show you that Jesus 
actually encourages tithing in the scripture. Don't believe me? Let's go to Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Not that kind of herb gardens, you Seattleites. Okay? <laughs> You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. This is Jesus talking. You should tithe. Yes. Say it with me. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important thing. I want to be very serious. If this was the only verse on tithing, I would be all in. Why? Because Jesus said it. Because Jesus has been so good to me. I trust in the ways of Jesus. I have trusted him ever since I became a follower of Jesus, and he has been faithful to deliver on his promises. Because like we talked about last week, Jesus actually delivers what money promises, amen? Money says you'll be happy, you'll be blessed, you'll have it all good, but it doesn't deliver but Jesus does. He's been so good to us, amen? And so if this was the only verse on tithing, I would do it because Jesus said it. Uh, and so he says, don't, don't neglect the weightier things, justice, faith, mercy, but should you tithe? Yes. Should you give 10% of your income to the house of God? Yes. And then another scripture says in Hebrews 7, 8, I like this. It says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. And this is a scripture in Hebrews talking about Jesus and a man named Melchizedek and Abraham, and Melchizedek is Jesus, spoiler alert, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, there's this idea that on earth we receive tithes, whether it's receiving it with the hosts in their, their buckets or through the tithely app, like mortal people receive the tithes, but this scripture says ultimately Jesus is the one who receives our tithes, and I, I think that's just so beautiful that we can worship Jesus directly with our giving. And I want us to really have a revelation that giving financially is as much a part of worship as singing songs. It's just part of our community and our culture. This is worship. So if you're passionate about worship but you're not giving, I question how passionate you are about worship. Because this is worship. This is worship. Jesus received our tithe. And so when we give to Jesus, I just... I think it's just proof that we are under the power of a different economy. It's proof that we don't bow down to the God of money. Because Jesus doesn't want to get your money. He doesn't want your money to get you. And when we give, we just prove to ourselves, to our hearts, to this world, to the people around us, there is no God but our God. There is no one who can save like Jesus. And so I give with a grateful heart, a heart of worship. And point number three as we give, I believe that tithing, yes, it, it is a test, it is biblical, but tithing is a blessing. That scripture in Malachi says that you are under a curse because you are robbing God in tithes and offerings. And uh, I, I believe that, like, if we fall in line with the stats of America, most of us aren't tithing then, 2.7% in America, and uh, I, I just don't want you to give because I'm condemning you or because 
Kalos is in dire straits. Like, we actually have a very generous church. I'm very proud of this church. We've been able to give away money and bless a lot of people. But the fact is, when you live in a different way than God's plans, you're not receiving the blessing that you give from submitting to God's plans. And there's a man in the Old Testament, his name is Ezekiah, and he realized that the nation was under a curse. They're in an economic recession, things were not going, and he, he discovered the book of the law, and he saw that, oh my goodness, we are robbing God in tithes and offerings. And so in, uh, in 1 Chronicles 31, the scripture says, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So, hey, he, he realized we're not giving money, so we need to start giving money to these people so that they can devote themselves to studying the word, the scriptures. They can develop sermons and have departments and, and take care of the temple and make sure these things are all in the order. And as soon as the order went on, verse 5, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount of tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. So they're collecting heaps of tithes for months. And, uh, oh, my goodness. And when Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps, and Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. So he checks in on them, Hezekiah, and he's like, there are, there's heaps and heaps of food and tithes in the temple, like, this is a lot. How are the people doing? And the, the priests are like, whoa, if you think this is a lot, this is only 10% of how God has blessed our nation. You should check out how these individual families are blessed with the 90%. It is crazy. God has richly blessed us. And I, Kalos, I want all of us in this room to walk in the blessings of God. I want you to say, like, man, God has so richly blessed me. I am not a slave to money. I'm not a slave to a job. I worship God first and foremost, and I prove it by giving him the first 10% of my income. I want us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. That's why we're doing this legacy offering. But the fact is, like, to run a church, to bring spiritual food into this environment, uh, tithes and offerings do make an impact. And so in this passage, Hezekiah is like, we need to start providing so that these priests can have food to eat. And we would not go to a restaurant, for the most of us, we would not go to a restaurant and uh, have a nice meal and then leave. I mean, that's called dining and dashing. Uh, it's when you just buy something and you run before the bill comes. Maybe you haven't heard of that. Maybe you've only seen that, like on an episode of The Office with Dwight and Michael, where they dine and dash, and they put their picture in the wall of all the people who have run out. But could you imagine if we did that in the church, like where everyone who got a spiritual meal at church and didn't pay, we put a picture on the wall of all the people who like are spiritually dining and dashing? I mean, I appreciate, I mean, I'm not trying to be too blunt or anything, but I love that we have an environment where we can spiritually eat. 
And we can, we can uncover the truth of the scripture. Messages like from Pastor Amritha, we can, we can really have a great spiritual meal. But the fact is, Kalos Church is a great environment, but somebody's paying for it. I mean, people are, are making room in their income so this can exist. And there's some of us who are contributors and some of us who are not. And I'm, I'm not communicating this because we are really under a burden as Kalos Church. It's because I want you to not live under the curse, but under the blessing of God. Do you like the spiritual food you get from church? Someone's paying for it. Are you one of them? You know, and as I, uh, uh, I am a pastor and I've talked with other pastors, there's two common testimonies or stories people have when they talk about finances and tithing in the church. Um, uh, people will say, uh, you know what, I tithe because God has so blessed me. They're walking in the blessing. I tithe because God has so blessed me. Then other people, another common testimony is, I can't afford to tithe because they're not under the power of the blessing. I can't afford to tithe. And, and, and something I've seen over and over, and we'll share more testimonies about these things, is this spiritual truth. You can't afford to tithe until you start to tithe. You can't afford to tithe until you start to tithe. Because it, 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 it's Jesus saying, uh, I will rebuke the devourer. Do you feel like you, you bring in income and it's just devoured? Do you feel like your finances come in and they just blow out and you don't know what's happening? I mean, could it be that you're not under the full blessing of what God has planned for you? Could it be? In fact, the scriptures say, test God in this. And I, I believe that as many of you take the test to God and you say, all right, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try tithing for a month or two months. You're going to see that, that God delivers on his promises. We, if you're looking for a sign from God, start tithing. He says, test me in this, and I will rebuke your finances, your life to be divine. I'm not saying you give a dollar, you're going to get $100 back. Blessing looks uh, a lot of different ways. But what I will say is God delivers on his promises. Amen? Amen? All right, I want to I close with this illustration, okay? Um, I want to imagine that um, Amrita's about to go out of town, okay, for, uh, for, no, not you're out of town. I want, uh, let's start over. I want you to imagine I'm going to go out of town for one month, and I want to financially make sure Amrita is good to go, okay? So can I get you three to stand up? Can I, can I get you to pick up, uh, stand up? I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Sorry. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Um, and so, uh. I, 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 I see that I'm going to be out of town, and I want to make sure Amrita is taken care of. So I'm going to give each of you $10,000, right? Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? $10,000, yes, $10,000, $10,000. And then I say, okay, you get to keep 90%, $9,000 each. But what I want you to do is for the next month, make sure my wife is taken care of. Each of you give her $1,000 so she can have food so she can live life, so she can be safe and have a roof over her head. Can you do that? And you agree. And then I, I come back a month later after giving you that $10,000, and I say, Pastor Amrita, how, how are you doing? Did you get all the money? And you're like, well, the first person you gave money to, they, they gave me $1,000, and I was, I was okay. And I, 
thank you so much for taking care of me, honey. And I was like, anything for you, my dear. And uh, then, uh, how, how did a person two do? And then you say, well, they, they actually gave me $2,000. I go, that's, that's weird, but I didn't, I didn't ask you to give $2,000, but praise the Lord. And uh, how, did, how, did person, how did person three do? Pastor Mitha, how did person three do? And then she says, well, they gave me like $400, and then they gave me like $150 later on. And I go, that's not, they, they were able to keep 90% of the income. And they, they held on to the 10% so that my wife could be taken care of. And I, I want this to sink into you. Is, is, is the church the bride of Christ? Yes, yes. As a husband, if I allot money for my wife to be taken care of, and then others take that for themselves, I am not going to trust you with money anymore. I'm going to give it to those I can be faithful with. I'm going to bless those. And if you don't think that sounds like God, I, I dare you to read about the parable of the talents in the scriptures. God will take those who are not using what they have to bless the Lord and give it to others. And I, I'm going to take that very personally, because this is my wife, and I want her to be taken care of. The bride of Christ is the church, the house of God. And I, you guys can sit down. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to let you know that I think Jesus uh, thinks tithing is a little more personal than you might realize. Because it's money used to take care of his bride, the church. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that we would get a revelation, tithes and offerings. I pray that we would see how you have blessed us so much. You've given us so many things, Lord, and you ask that we would return 10% and that we wouldn't rob you. We'd bring it into the house, God, that there might be spiritual food to eat. Lord, I just pray that we would get a revelation that we would not walk in the consequences of choosing our own way, but we would walk in the blessings of your plans, Lord. I pray that you would help us, whether it's at Kalos Church or whether it's at another church. Lord, I pray that we would walk in your ways, not our own. And Lord, if we're not, I pray that you would help us to change course, give us the strength to walk the better way. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hey, before I get off the stage and hand over the service, I realize like every week there are people here that, that don't have a relationship with God. People are like under the weight of sin and darkness and are coming to church because you're looking for a fresh start. You're looking for hope. And I want to let you know you're in the right place. Like Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. He gives you fresh start. He gives you grace time and time again. Uh, making the decision to follow Jesus is the best decision I've ever made. And if you're in this place and you, you're far from God and you feel like you're just under so much condemnation, I want to let you know God loves you, and I would love to pray for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. So in a little bit, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to be included in that prayer, and I hope you do. So why don't we bow our heads again and make it a private moment between us and God. But if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Pradeepin, would you pray for me? I, I want a fresh start. I want to follow the ways of Jesus. I'm sick of living for myself. I'm sick of living in, in darkness and death. I want life and light. I want Jesus. If that's you on the count of three, would you boldly lift up your hand so I can see it and I'll pray for you. 
One, two, three. Would you lift up your hands so I can see it? I want to pray for you. If you're saying, Pastor Pradeep, pray for me. Why don't you lift up your eyes, and we're going to pray this prayer all together at the same time, especially if you made a decision to follow Jesus. Let's pray this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Love it.